this is Sabrina Marie, host of the Building Abundant Success Series. Our primetime mastermind features the importance of music, funk music. This week, February 16th, the Funk Music Hall of Fame and Exhibition Center will open in Dayton, Ohio. Its mission is to educate all of us about the importance of funk music, celebrate its pioneers, display a lot of memorabilia as well as music, and the importance of the music industry. You heard of Uptown Funk? Bruno Mars really is giving homage to James Brown, Parliament Funkadelic, Morris Day in the Time, Cameo, Zap, Bootsy Collins, and many, many others in that field. It's added so much, not only to rock and roll, but the Americana of music. Today, I interview the CEO of the museum, David Russell Webb. We talk about the music business, how music has shaped him and his vision for the future. David and I are coming at you right now. Welcome. Well, thank you, Sabrina. Thank you. Thanks so much for being with us tonight. On our, uh, we have a mastermind here, and you're a business owner. Um, wanted you to tell the audience a little bit uh, tease about yourself, and then we'll get into some questions about the Funk Hall of Fame. Okay, the Funk Center. Okay. Well, uh, my name is David R. Webb, or they call me David Russell Webb Sr. I'm born in Dayton, Ohio, grew up on the west side of Dayton, then moved to the northwest side of Dayton. Uh, grew up in religion, the Church of God in Christ, Koji. The shout out to the Church of God in Christ crew. Uh, grew up in a, in a religious family. Our values and Christian values are very important in our life. We're a musical family. Uh, went from there, uh, went to school from uh, high school to elementary to college. <clears throat> went on to bigger and better things, uh, interior decorating, design, curating, uh, just a lot of things. Uh, a master of all trades, a lot of stuff. Um, I'm a musician. I play the drums. I play keyboards. Um, I'm just, you know, just a real nice guy, very humble man. There it is. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Um, you grew up in Dayton, and uh, yeah. your formative years growing up. Tell us a little bit about Dayton and your upbringing. Well, growing up in Dayton is was 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 is an industrial town, like from Frigidaire to the Delco products. It was a, it's a GM town, and after so many years, GM uh, kind of went away. But my dad, uh, when after World War II veteran, came from Milan, Tennessee to Dayton, Ohio, and brought his family up here, and that's where we uh, reside at. Uh, now in Dayton, Ohio, my father was like a World War II veteran. I uh, went worked at Frigidaire for thirty some years. I remember my dad used to get up, and they they make a lot of money. He was a forklift driver, but the man had very uh, Christian values on like, what we did. We used to get up all every Saturday to go out to the fields in Jefferson Township and the surrounding counties to pick corn, uh, canned stuff, green beans, apples, and because we had a big family, so that's what we had to do to keep make our keep in our home. Wow, responsibility at a very young age, which is a good thing. Yes, it is. Very good thing. And your father was military, mine, mine too. Yeah, World War Two. What did your father do? What did he My do? Father, what, what, he, French. He was, he was a sergeant in the military uh, in World War II, and he, later on he he worked he went he worked at Frigidaire in Dayton. Frigidaire, you know, was a manufacturing town, and he left and went to the war. And then when he got back from the war, they gave him his job back. Wow, wow! 
Now, um, in growing up, because military brats, <laughs> we're different. We're different. We're a different breed, you know. Uh, most of us yeah. have responsibilities. Um, yeah. Did you have to move around as an army brat? No, 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 no. Stayed in one place in Dayton, Ohio. Stayed in one place. Mm-hmm. In that military training your father had, I'm sure, rubbed off on you. What are some of the three lessons that you learned through your childhood, uh, your formative years, say, from 6 to 16? Oh, uh, education is the key, respectfulness, and get a job. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that, that's awesome. Now, your music background, when did you really get into um, not just fun music, but music? How instrumental was that? Oh, well, you know, I started back at, um, well, I started back in church, listening to music in church. Uh, we used to, my mother used to, and father used to go to an evangelist called A.A. A. Allen Revivals out of Miracle Valley. He was a traveling evangelist, and I used to listen to the organist and, and the drummer play and everything, and I wanted to play the drums so bad. I, I had to drums, but, you know, but by the time when I got into fourth and third, fifth grade, my teachers thought, that uh, I was uncoordinated, I couldn't play the drums, so they gave me a little plastic flutophone, told me, go ahead, because I wasn't coordinated. <laughs> Whoa, no! Oh, my God. I know you just love that flutophone. You learned to play that baby, didn't you? Oh, uh, well, you know what I did? I ran home and showed my mother. And you know what, Serena? My mother was a little disappointed. No, a lot disappointed. She knew my <laughs> dreams were to, you know, play the drums. So that that whole summer... I, I went to the, got in the drum corps, uh, marching band, learned how to play the drums, how to twirl the sticks and everything. So when I got back to that next day, uh, that next year in the sixth grade, uh, I showed, I showed, I showed out a little bit on the drums and showed my uh, music teacher that I could play. And she was very, uh, very surprised. Beautiful. Beautiful. Now, the drums. The drums, the beat, the coordination, you know, the discipline takes. The syncopation. Yeah. Um, you, you, did you play, uh, concert, symphonic, any bands in, in your, oh, in yeah. School? You know, as, as, you know, Dayton had so many bands, as national bands and local bands. We call them garage bands on every corner in Dayton. <laughs> <laughs> we had, we had the, we had the, um, the contest, the different things you had to play and learn. Everybody had a band in Dayton. Dayton was tremendous with bands. So, you know, that that was a big thing. And I wanted to have my own band. So I remember one day my mother, my father passed away in 1977. 19, uh, by that time in 1978, my mother uh, got some money from, my, you know, my father's passing because he was a vet. And the VA sent her over some money. So my mom pulled me to the side and said, Daddy wanted you to have a drum set because he knew you wanted to play. So I remember I got a red Slingerland drum set, and um, and that's when my career started <laughs> right there. <laughs> wow. Now, I know a little bit about being in bands. I was in band, but I, I, I didn't play drums. I was a flute player. Yeah. Oh yeah, and, yeah. Cause we already uh, know about we already know about band camp. We already know about band camp. Mm-hmm. You know that. Yeah. Oh yes. <laughs> I can tell you, oh, I had band camp at the Poconos and other places, and oh, yeah. we were practicing in 90-degree weather, marching and oh, yeah, falling yeah, out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you, bandmaster. Let me have another lap. Yeah, I got that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what I remember? I remember uh, I had uh, relatives that I play drums, play the bass drum, timpani, and all that other 
and you had to see an information, and I felt so bad for them because they had the straps on their back. We'd be yeah, out there it, 90 yeah. degree weather. Yeah, because because you had the cushion and see and you know it was something else. But you know, but then the pep assemblies and um, then we used to rock, come in, rock and boom, 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 and we we always say, let the flute girls twirl their flutes. Yeah, I mean the the cadences that you march to, and 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 it's easy to remember lyrics, words. It's easy to remember things to a drum beat and to or any beat, you know. It's, it's really I remember, easy. I remember I was like, I went to Colonel White High School, and then I went to Fairview High School. But when when I was back in as a young man, we was in, you know, street drum corps. And I was in a group called the Red Berets. And we used to we used to chant the Red Berets, the baddest group from east to west. And, and the drum beat, boom, ba-doom, 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 crack, boom, ba-doom, 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 crack, red berets. I mean, that was a big thing. We had our Red Berets. Army boots with real military style. Hmm. Yes, you know, and and it's you, you're talking about a life of discipline, and um, it also is a life of creativity too. Because you know, once you get the discipline down pat, you know, the creativity kind of flows in there. Now, what did you want to do as a kid playing that? that girl? I wanted I wanted to be a preacher. I wanted to be a evangelist <laughs> preacher. <laughs> yeah, I wanted I wanted to get on stage and with my microphone and suit and my Bible and everything. I, you know that was one of my things. My mother said you're gonna be a preacher, you're gonna be a minister or something. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. And I used to get I used to get my microphone. I used to have kids in the neighborhood. I used to have church. They used to come like thirty, forty kids, and I used to preach to them. And I and I used to have the music, and I had a, I had one of my one of my cousins who passed away. He got he drowned. He was my uh, drummer, and I played the fake organ, and I was like make an organ. It was like, and after I get up doing that, I used to preach to the neighborhood kids and tell them to to obey your parents and and, and you do your thing and and, uh, and eat your food and your vegetables and everything. And I said, church is over with. And then people they say praise the Lord and they get up and go home. What did your mom and dad in your life think about your taste or formative taste in music? Because you came out of the church. One of the things, I was real big with the Jackson 5. I loved the Jackson 5. And I wanted to, I figured I was Michael's brother and and I was adopted by my, my parents and I really was a Jackson. That's what I thought. <laughs> oh, wow. One of the, you want to, because they had so many people in the family, huh? You could blend in yeah. there. Because I used to sing like Michael and dance like him too, right? And it was one of those things that was really, really funny. So, so one day, um, my, my 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 dad was real lean, and my mother's a real real deep and wonderful Christian. I call her deep and wonderful Christian because she's in the church so much. She was deep and wonderful, deep and wonderful, right? You couldn't do this, you couldn't do that, right? Deep and wonderful Christian, right? So uh, the funny thing about it was, so one day we got the Jackson Five Christmas album, and I wanted to play. It's a Christmas album, and my, my sister said, "Oh, Mama, that's the Jackson. You can't let it play." My, my father said, "Let the boys play the Jackson Five. Let's listen to it. It was a Christmas record. And after that, I started listening to other music. 
Then I started getting into gospel music like Andre Crouch and the Disciples. Oh, yeah. I got into Jesse Dixon, Danny Bell, uh, you know, uh, the, the pioneers of that, you know, the Hawkins family. I mean, it was just, it was a big thing, you know, that music was changing. And I was like, wow, gospel music has changed. So, you know, Andre Crouch was a big pioneer. On, on when I listened to him, he just changed that flow of music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now you're just, I'm glad you're talking about the blending because I mean it used to be they called it devil's music or whatnot, and um, you know one of the first secular secular. I mean they've always been in in terms of gospel music. You know you've got uh, you know the, you know a whole mess of people who have done sort of secular music, but Edward Hawkins just passed. You know, yes, I, and he yes, was one of the first to to have yeah. um, in um, modern day um, uh, crossover, in crossover. Oh, happy that day! Crossover. Yes, indeed. Oh, happy day! Yeah, that album was really big, and I think it was 1968, and that was during the Vietnam War and the rioting. Like Marvin Gaye was singing, what was going on at that time? As you know, uh, Edwin Hawkins is out of Oakland, California. And Andre Crouch, the Hawkins family, uh, a lot of people was out of Oakland, California. That was the new thing. You had Sly and the Family Stone in the Oakland, San Francisco area. It was a lot of music coming out of that that way back then. Mm-hmm. And um, he was one of the first, uh, you know, not only crossover, but, you know, you had many stations from what I, you know, had studied who would not really play gospel music. They would play Edwin Hawkins. And what? so, you know, I wanted to bring that up. He he just recently passed within the last uh-huh. week. Um, yeah. Andre Crouch it, it did bring it home. I mean, you've got so many people who um, have have paved the way for us. Yes. Mahalia Jackson, you know, you know oh, she yeah. may have been of another, you know, generation, but also she was, uh, she became a bit more of a secular person in the 60s and whatnot. Now, mm-hmm. in getting into the funk, now, yes. funk, you know, is not necessarily more than to anyone's thought of Christianity. So no, no, how no. do you marry the two? Okay, well, let me tell you the story. Let me tell you the story. Uh, back in the day, when I was a little boy, funk was a bad word. Bad mm-hmm. word. Bad word. Very bad word. My mother smacked me in my mouth because I used to watch this cartoon on ABC called The Funky Phantom. If you remember that. The Funky Phantom was a cartoon who was a phantom, a ghost, who was in the 1700s, supposed to be real funky and talk funky. And he was a mystery guy. It was like a Scooby-Doo mystery. And he's called Funky Phantom. And every time you say that, I got smacked in the mouth. Didn't understand until later what she told me that was a bad word, what that meant. So now they, the word funk has changed so and evolved so much. You got funk where the funky smoke. The funky, that's funky how the music is. Boy, you funky, take a bath. You know, there's always, there's always different things how you do it. Oh, that's some funky stuff. You know, and, and that's a funky groove. So everything has changed and revolved differently now. So that, you know, and cause you know, people said how funk started. It started in, uh, where, uh, somewhere in New Orleans and a band was playing. Somebody came in and said, ooh, it's funky in here. And that's, somebody said that. So it's, it's all how you perceive it. Wow. It is. 
It is. Um, the Jackson 5 could go into that funk groove, and actually they got funkier as they got older. What did yeah. you think, being a, a Jackson 5 fan, and then as they evolved into the Jacksons, the evol- evolution of that? What did you think about that? Well, 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 one thing, I had to take my hat off to Joe Jackson. He got his family out of uh, Gary, Indiana, and moved forward with the boys and what they did, you know. And, you know, you know again, I don't. We don't know what the uh, Joe did. He, they, people say, "Oh, Joe's this, Joe that," but Joe got to a family where they needed to be, and I, I my hat goes off to Joe, uh, Joe. Now, the difference between the Jackson Fives back then it was that bubblegum music that 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 Motown machine back there where Barry Gordy, Smokey Robinson, and you know the Funk Brothers they came with that 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 machine and gave that bubblegum music for the young people. And see, the Jackson Fives. Uh, did songs that are, was already done by the Temptations and Smokey Robinson, the Miracles, different things. What the the greatest thing about Motown, they just recycled those songs to those young people, and we we listened to that that Michael Jackson voice and that Jermaine voice. Then later, when Jermaine left the group, I hated that. That's when the Jacksons came into the funk with Dance Machine. You know, uh, that funk when Jermaine was there with Dance Machine, and they moved on and they left Motown to for to from Motown to uh, CBS Records, but I was still keep, keeping up with them. So, you know, the Jackson 5 went through that funk, uh, what they were doing, and, you know, I, and I like it. Mm-hmm. You like the evolution of the Triumph and, uh, you know, yes. um, the the singles that came out of that. I think that they work with the Philly sound for a hot Yes, minute. they did. Yes, they did. And, yes, they did. Um, they, but it wasn't. It wasn't the same. It was not the same. It was. It didn't have that same right. flair because it was. It was. It was more watered down. It was. It was like. It was like a. It's like like, like that song going places. I got my la da 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 da, mm-hmm. and I'm going places. Going going going. And that's like uh, after a while you'd be like okay. And it wasn't Michael. It wasn't. It wasn't the Jackson sound. So you see, it wasn't the same. But once they got a chance to produce their stuff. And Michael did what they did, and they came back. Can you feel it? Can you feel it? Right there, the whole different vibe. And and you and you then the Jackson Five came back to me. The Jacksons came back. And the funk, you know, mm-hmm. you've got a lot of jazz, and you've got a lot of of funk um, mix. Mm-hmm. in just the genre of funk music. And when you talk about some of the, the Ohio players, or you talk mm-hmm. about Cameo, Zap, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the majority of the bands, they were true musicians. They played oh, the horn. They yes. played yes. the drums. They, they, yes. they were, and they were really into it which is different than music now. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, yes, most definitely. See, back then, uh, arts and music was big in school. To learn how to, you had to learn how to sing. You had to uh, learn how to play. Uh, you know, you got the band, and, and that was in school. Now the arts and music is not in schools like they used to. They're more in private schools. So what? What? that's what was missing a lot. See, in Dayton, Ohio, Everybody just to play played horns, they played drums, they played bass and lead. That was big. And but see, people forget we got that start in church, uh, start by by playing by ear, and that's that's very very important. Just like Ohio players, the horn section just blaring. And see, a lot of those groups like Cameo, Earth Wind and Fire. 
can function. Uh, different other groups uh, took that, oh, wow, that, that where Sugarfoot's famous uh, saying, do we mm-hmm. know that? A wow, word up, wow, it's the total word. That's, that's Sugarfoot's vibe, you know, and, and they right. were paying homage to Sugarfoot. And Sugarfoot paved the way for a lot of that sound because everybody was biting off the Ohio players, even the group um, Wild Cherry out of Ohio. The same bass line and same vibe uh, from the Ohio players, uh, uh, play the funky music white boy. That, that, that's the same bass line. So uh, the Ohio players played a pivotal role in a lot of that funk music. Yes, and a lot of people they don't uh, don't uh, realize that Earth, Wind, and Fire, uh, uh-huh. the Ohio players, uh-huh. and and many others, especially uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire, Minnie Riperton came out of uh-huh. that Shaka Khan. Uh-huh. They came oh, out yeah. of jazz bands, jazz uh-huh. bands. They uh-huh. knew uh-huh. their stuff. Uh, uh, if you look at Fred Wesley and James Brown, he had musicians, yeah. and a lot of that. I mean, I, when I studied George Clinton, because I'm a major George Clinton fan, um, his deal. In the parliaments, they were only a singing group, but right. he realized something when they went on tour. They had to deal with the musicians they were given. So he said, right. wait a minute, why don't I start a music group that will fit in with our music so we can be on point? And, um, I mean, it's very ingenious. These uh, musicians that came out of jazz realized, okay, pop is dying. Motown is not necessarily dying, but it, they only have singing groups. So when they go on tour, they don't have the best bands. Why? And, and remember, and, and remember, <laughs> remember, Barry Gordy kind of kind of switched over to the movies. He was trying to take Motown to the movie aspect of it, and I think he wasn't paying attention to the music was coming out. That's just my opinion. Well, one one thing George had mentioned, and uh, when I read his biography, is he was saying that he thought that. If Barry Gordy had given the Funk Brothers their due, right, that Motown may have lasted a lot longer because the music and musicians became more more important or as important as the artists towards the very late sixties and through the seventies and eighties. The musicians became, you know, because people were realizing that Jim, uh, James Jamerson played. Baseline on what is it? Hundreds of Motown hits. That was mm-hmm. James Jammer. He created that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, people, people even in England, some of the rock bands are like, "Who's that person?" They wanted to know who the bass person was, who yeah. did the drums. You know, Led so, Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin. Uh-huh. Everybody out of yes, yeah, I mean, a lot of the rock bands, yes. Mm-hmm. Jimi Hendrix. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I wasn't a fan of his voice. He could play guitar. Man. <laughs> you know, he could. I mean, I, I just listened for that man. He, yeah, he could yeah. really blow you away. Right. Um, and that's when musicians became important. But you know, you got the Funk Brothers. They got Funk in their name, but you really didn't know them at the time. Who right, they right. were and, and whatnot. So when Funk came in, hey, musicians were front and center, and many of them were not only writing the tunes, they were singing. So, hey, yeah. you know, yeah. it was yeah. great. Mm-hmm. Now, the Funk Hall of Fame is something that uh, is <laughs> extremely needed because I think even with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and other Hall of Fames, Funk is, is not thought of as important, although today, when you look at a Bruno Mars or a Cardi B or a Kendrick Lamar, you're saying 
especially funk, as, as it evolved over the last, say, 35 years, you hear in Public Enemy, you hear in yeah. Digital Underground, you, you're yeah. hearing what commercial radio missed 30 Why? years ago. You no, are no. hearing because the music industry became corporate after, what is it, 75? And you had guys in suits making decisions for teenagers. Yeah, and what happens is, because I was in the radio business too, um, and what happens is corporate, uh, I, I'm, I'm sitting up here on my ivory tower, so all my radio station owners going to play the same stuff. They was not understanding the urban music flight of what was happening. They figured this was happening and everybody's going to listen to it. And the funk just became onto the wayside. After after 1979, 80, record companies, I was in A&R, working at a couple of record companies back in the day. A&R wasn't like it used to be. Uh, I remember each each city in the United States had a headquarters. All record companies, and usually like like in Ohio, it was Cleveland. If it was in if it was in Indiana, it would be Indianapolis. You had all these record rep people who went out to radio stations, and we call it pedal to the radio stations the uh, material. After after uh, at 1986 and 87, record companies downside. That's when rappers came in. And rappers, you can do uh, a deal for five thousand dollars, and I don't have to pay you seventy thousand dollars for a rapper. And the rap game has changed, and that's what changed a lot of things when rappers came in and started doing their stuff. And that's a creative art. I give it to them, but the musicians what needed no more. Then Prince came in and broke the shell. We don't have no horn. Mm-hmm. We let the keyboards do the horn and everything. So everybody's trying to change their 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 thinking because Prince was hot. And Prince said he got two keyboards, a drums, a bass, and lead, and, and that's all they need. And they was downsizing bands big time. So that kind of messed up a lot of things, too. So th- this is where we are now with music. Wow. And you're mentioning something that's, that, you know, people don't understand. When you're hearing, and especially people, one you know, within the last, say, 30, 35 years, they're thinking when they hear um, – Oh gosh, this Marquis, they're thinking, I mean, that's his song. What is it? Yeah. It's a Gamble and Huff song. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Gamble and Huff wrote that song. Yeah. You know? It's like Biggie Small, he did the, the Barge song. El was singing that song. Don't go, don't go. I love you so. That Biggie, Biggie took that, that loop. And and took out the Bard song and made a hit off of it. Yeah, and and that's what they don't realize. Hey, wait a minute now. They're rapping over an actual artist song. You know, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, go yeah. back and find out who that is. And right, when you right. hear even commercials today, uh, mm-hmm. there's a, a commercial I love by Google, Google Pixel Two, and I'm like. That sounds like a song that could have been recorded. I looked up Google Pixel 2. Spencer Wiggins was a gospel singer, and he put out Double Lovin'. That's an actual song. And I said, you know, that's where you're hearing real R&B in commercials now. Right. You're hearing it in commercials. You're hearing it in uh, music, movie soundtracks like um, uh, Daddy's Home 2. Or Daddy Time, you know, you're, you're, yeah, you're yeah. hearing the old uh, funk. And, you know, there was one song, I think, uh, the theme song for uh, Daddy's Home. Um, uh-huh. And it sounds like a cross between Betty Wright 
and you know something from Memphis Soul. That's funny. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. Very true. Very true. And uh, I think his name is Eli Paperboy Reeves, and uh-huh. uh, that's the guy. And, and, and the, the you know white artist, blue eyed soul artist that really still love that music. My question to you is, why don't we love it enough to be doing it more? Uh, I couldn't hear you say that one more time. Why don't we, as black folk, love our music enough to be doing more of it? Well, you know, again, uh, that's that's one of those hard questions, there. But I, I think I think it's a it's it's on a comeback. It's on a comeback. Um, you know, but like I let, let me let me let me let me go to say this, and I'll get back. Uh, one of the things is like the Grammy Awards. You don't mm-hmm. see none of the old school people in the Grammys. That's the thing. So we need to get back to the vinyl because people are playing vinyl now. That's coming back. And, you know, and as you know, black black people, I think, now are um, reaching back, listening to old stuff now, getting back to the groove. I think Apple is buying up a lot of stuff, too. And, and uh, you can go to Apple and listen to this, go to YouTube and listen to this, and that's what's happening because people get tired of getting cussed out on a record. And, you know, you know, like you go to concert, you're every mother, mother, this, this, that, that, good night. And I say, I paid $100 to get cussed at. So people now, people are going back to that jazz flow. They're going back to contemporary gospel. They're going back to uh, listening to old school from the Frankie Beverly's, the Earth, Wind, and Fires that are coming through, the Ohio players are coming through. They go back. Even kids today, my nieces and nephews, they listen to R&B funk now. They said, they said, that's what's, that's what's up, Uncle Dave. This is what's happening. And I'm like, oh, wow. So this is where it is. It, it, black folks are going back to that. You know, they're getting back to their roots. And, they, and I, I think it's a great thing. Now, the Punk Hall of Fame is paying tribute to many pioneers uh, in not only the punk, but well, let's just say soul music, punk music, uh, you know, because those musicians started in jazz and soul and, uh, you know, Jump Blues and whatnot, the James Browns and all. It takes work to do that. Tell us about the Funk Hall of Fame. Well, I'm glad you asked that. Let me let you know, the listeners know this. Uh, the Funk Music Hall of Fame Exhibition Center is a 501c3 charitable organization. Our goal and mission is to educate the public's knowledge in the history of funk music on the one, the genre of funk music collective of soul and rhythm, and we want to make sure young people know what's happening. This is a very important museum. When you get in our museum, you get the chance to see artifacts, memorabilia from way back in the 60s and 70s and 80s of funk people who actually played and sung their instruments. There was no sampling. This is huge for the Miami Valley, the Dayton, Ohio area, and the world. And this is tribute is to these people who need to be recognized. And this is very important in this time of day and age where we live in. As the educational side of your um, Hall of Fame will educate kids, do you believe that there will be a movement where kids will, just like us, be in hands, learn about instruments, learn the importance of of owning and, 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 and really, you know, nurturing. Mm-hmm. Music is nurturing. You're talking Very about a few minutes ago, people cussing out and they say, well, not all rap does that, but a lot of rap does. 
Um, we have to start to know some lyrics, things that build us up, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the, the thing that I always believe in positive, 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 positive. You know, um, I'm a positive person, and sometimes I'm, I, I sometimes, you know, I get weary, and I listen to things, and I know when I was in A&R, people used to call me all times of night and let them listen to stuff, but I took the time to listen and took the time to think. That's why I tell the young people, that's why the Funk Music Hall of Fame, actually, we want to listen to your young people. We want you to have a craft. We want you to go out there. and you, If you want to rap, rap. Go ahead and do it, but learn how to play your instrument. We want to put instruments in your hand. We want to go let you get back to church and the, and the values of how we learn, playing by ear. Now, but it's good to play by ear. That's good. But we want to cut the notes, what the notes and what the beats mean. And it's very important that because that's that's science, technology, engineering, arts, and math, you know. And we take the math and make it. We take the take the math out and make it, put the M put make it music because music is important. Music is 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 it stimulates your mind, your heart, and your soul, and it makes you want to pat your feet. I don't care who, if you're black, white, or whatever. Music crosses all color barriers. It's very important. Music is. Speaking of music, I mentioned something earlier. Freddie Scott sang uh, a song called You Got What I Need, which was turned into Biz Marquis' song, Just a Friend. And yeah, I mentioned yeah. Gamble and Huff. Gamble and Huff wrote that song. Um, uh, Huff, you know, he's a musician. Mm-hmm. Um, Gamble started out as a lead singer of the group. Mm-hmm. They know music. And when you, you listen to many of the greats, that uh, have preceded even what we know today as modern folk music. They were musicians. They were true. They were musicians. They they wrote a mm-hmm. lot of their stuff. Mm-hmm. James Brown and yes, they Richard, did. Yes, they did. And, you know, they wrote their music. They owned their music. Do you believe that um, one of the missions for the Funk Hall of Fame is to show that when you you listen to Skin Tight. You listen to a fire. You listen to Love mm-hmm. Roller Coaster. You mm-hmm. listen to the, the Jimmy Morrison's who, who, who wrote One Nation of the Grooves, mm-hmm. and all the other. These people, not only musicians, they wrote, and it was from yeah. the heart. You think we can get back to that? Because a lot of how much more can you sample? I'm not saying that you can't sample, but mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you I more than sample. And see, and that's important. That's what we that's what we have classes, and we want to tell young people about. Learn how to write, learn how to publish, know how to get your your royalties, BMI ASCAP. That's what we want you to know. And see, one of the big – let me tell you a story. It's a group out of Dayton, Ohio, and I'm going to mention it to them, and you probably know who they are, the group called Slave. Slave was a group 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. I think the oldest was 22 at the time. These were serious young musicians at an age. They did that record slide. They got the worst record deal in history, and they're just now fighting to get their money uh, from uh, some of the companies and some of the managers because these boys didn't know. They were young thinking that they're trusting somebody. That's why we said you always have an attorney present and look over your music and look over your your, your, your uh, contract, look over this, look over that. You know, you always have wise counsel. But these young men got a bad deal, and they're just now um, getting possibly getting some money back for almost 45 years past. I'm glad you're mentioning that because I was getting ready to ask that very, very uh-huh. thing. 
Um, but I'll ask it in this way. We have many, many Greeks that were um, taken advantage of by the music industry. You can, you know, go back to um, Frankie Lyman and, and, and Little Richard and Little Richard and and many people who've passed on. And um, they don't they're, they're great artists, but the business side. Um, if you go to some of the older artists, and I've worked with some, and I and I because I started out in my actual work life working for. Um, a, a, a musician who worked for many people. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are fighting for their music rights. They somehow lost their music. Michelle yes, Jordan, you know, they, you know, and that's the most important thing you would think, you know, in, before signing a contract. You know, you copyright your name, you copyright your music, you, copy, mm-hmm. you know, right, you right. have all of that and learn the business side. So that you don't have to sell your music and hope to get it back, mm-hmm. or, or you know, or, or sell your copyrights and, and then pray that your next few gigs will help you, you know, pay back whoever you. That's vitally important, but that's not just with funk artists. That's with a lot of our soul, mm-hmm. gospel, you know, yeah. uh, mainstream artists. What do you think, uh, besides just your education, can you know help? Even some of our, our pioneers, because they're really hurting. They should not be hurting in their 70s and 80s. Yeah, and, and we, want, we, money, we want to make sure. Know, the fun, yeah, the, yeah, the Musical Hall of Fame Exhibition wants to enlighten people on this. And some of the old funk stars come through and they talk about their, their things. And I get a chance to listen to their stories. Now, if you get a chance, we have a YouTube channel called The T-H-E Funk F-U-N-K Center C-E-N-T-E-R. If you go to our YouTube channel and subscribe to that and see that we have funk stars coming on telling their story, they're telling their stories. We won a lot of awards in that. We have people telling stories about their tragic endings and uh, their, their, their good times, their bad times, and this is important. We documented this stuff, and this is very important, and I, I, I encourage your listeners to go to our YouTube channel and see what's going on on that. We don't want a lot of awards on this, and this is for a, a cable access show that just took off tremendously. But one of the things I, I was telling uh People, you got to be a great savvy businessman in the music industry. Perfect example: Who was a savvy? Michael Jackson, who bought the Beatles catalog. Savvy, savvy, savvy. This man was smart. He had the money at the time, but you know what I'm saying. But but he he was smart in what he did. You need to own catalogs, own music, own your rights, so you can you can manipulate and master what you want to do. 